the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Would Jesus vote? And then we're joined by Rabbi Schneider, host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Friday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. It is Friday, Aubrey. We have made it, but you know what happens this weekend? Time change. Time change. And it's oh, the bad one. Ryan. It's, it's the bad one. So you know what's crazy? My, we were talking about this with my family. My husband goes, oh, I love this time change. No. And I was like, no, 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 this is not what you're thinking it is. But he was like really convinced that this was, the, I'm like, no, babe, this is when it like at 3 p.m. it feels like yep. it's midnight. Like yep. this is not the good time change. But he's a fan of this one. No, he can't be. You again <laughs> just proved something we discussed the other day that you debated. You go, do I? You just called your husband babe again. So okay, so I do it. It's official. Uh, two, no, this one's the worst one. Where people who get short-sighted about it go, uh-huh. well, I get an extra hour of sleep on yeah. this one night. Right. But for the rest, now we are on that pathway of 4.30, it's, 5 o'clock. It's, it's awful. dark out. It's like pitch black and you like. I don't need it light in the evening. Yeah. And can we uh, can we discuss why us pastors, we need to get together and protest this one? Why yeah, are both time changes in the middle of the night on Saturday leading into Sunday? I know. Isn't that the worst time? Like, the could worst. we move it to a Wednesday? Yeah. A Thursday, even. Friday, even a Friday, Friday to a afternoon. Saturday would be good. I'll even give you Sunday afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Church is done. Kicking off before Monday. Yeah, make, it would mess with the football schedule, but you know. Yeah. Uh, so don't forget that. Get yourself to church on time. Although this is the one. Wait, let me think. Yeah, if you forget back. to do this one, you're going to get to church really early. Yeah, you so won't you won't miss, miss it. Do you feel, I mean, I know we're not having a whole time change conversation here, but do you feel some pressure as a pastor to, like, remind your I people and announce it. We do, too. We, like, we like put it on it's, social media and send an email. But is that funny that that's kind of your it's responsibility? it's Saturday Sunday, night. Saturday yeah. night into Sunday. If this yeah. was a Tuesday into a Wednesday, we yeah. wouldn't do it. So. Uh, don't forget to change those clocks. Go rake those leaves. We are now, it feels like when the clocks change, we are in full-fledged, like, we're marching to winter. It's like, see yeah. you again in March. We will be back at it. So, glad that you're with us. But, Aubrey, the other thing that is coming right now is the election. We are a mere three, four days away uh, from going to the polls. A lot of people have probably already voted early voting. Uh, and so, I here's the question. That is posed for us. And okay, I, I want I'll, I'll I'll reference an article here later that was written by one of our teammates here at the station, Dr. Robert Jeffers. But he asked this question, would Jesus vote? Here's what mm. Christians should consider this election season. Here's what I want you to try to do. So not not so much would Jesus vote, but I want you to answer this question. What why would somebody say Christians shouldn't vote? And why would somebody say Christians uh, should be passionate about what's uh, going to happen? On Tuesday? Describe the two polls for me here. Okay, so why? No pun intended. <laughs> why would people say Christians shouldn't vote? Um, I think perhaps I'm, I'm making a total guess here because mm-hmm. this one's a harder one for me to wrap my mind around, honestly. But I think it might be something about one, it won't make a difference. 
or two, none of the um, none of the politicians best represent you know who I want, and therefore, what's the point? Three, should Christians be involved in politics at all? We should go. be more concerned with spiritual matters rather than earthly matters. Those are my guesses no, about right. a why. You wouldn't. I, I think you're right on that one, and especially the last one. I think people, hey, we're supposed to be heavenly minded. We're citizens of heaven. Um, and then I, uh, you know, we've talked this week about why we think that's wrong. But also the other poll is wrong, too. That kind of says our hope is in politics, yeah. right? Whether that person with an R or a D gets elected is going to change everything. And he's he or she yeah. is going to usher in this this usher in the church. Sort to of be this like new or, world order yeah. that Christians have been longing for. Yeah. And so uh, obviously we think the answer is in the middle. But uh, I think. Well, let me ask you, why should a Christian vote or how should a Christian view voting? This is a tricky question. And you know what's funny? My husband wanted to do a series on like how should Christians vote, not who to vote for, but what you should think about. And I was like, I don't know. Like I was like a little bit nervous about it. But now I'm thinking, oh, maybe this would be a good sermon series. Um, So you asked two questions. Why and how? Yeah. Uh, why or just how do they think through? How do you how would you help people think through, if you will, the Christian view, the Christian ethic on voting? I think what's complicated about this, to be honest, is that we have in the past. I don't think this is true anymore. Christians have typically been kind of a one issue voting mm-hmm. body, and that's around abortion. Like those of us who are pro-life Christians have voted specifically for candidates that were pro-life. And that's amazing. I mean, you and I are both pro-life. We've said that. And yet what we, as a pro-life person, what I also feel is that I am against uh, uh, corporal punishment. Um, I am pro-life in other ways. Like I want my candidate to be concerned about the poor, the marginalized, the dehumanization of people. And that could be a different candidate than the the anti-abortion candidate. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? So mm-hmm. this is where it gets really complicated and I I definitely think Christians should vote. Part of it is because people gave their lives for us to vote. Mm. And so I think Christians should be involved in it. Um, How you should vote. I mean, this this one is tricky for me because I think you have to think about um, this is where our guest Michael Ware, I think, is really helpful. You have to think about what contributes to uh, the to use a quote, the common good mm-hmm. of everybody, what helps, which politician is really being a good neighbor around the issues that you care about mm-hmm. and your community feels passionate about. And obviously you want to look through the lens of scripture and pray about who to vote for, but it's complicated, Brian. Like it doesn't yeah. feel like a black and white issue. I can remember in the past being told because I'm a Christian, I have to vote for one political party. You, you know, depending political party being the Republican party. Yeah. But depending we grew up where we grew up, other people in other parts of the country would say, actually, it's the other political party. Um, I don't think that's true. I don't think because you're a Christian, you have to vote for one specific political party, Mm -hmm. but you do have to use a lot of discernment. Yeah. I was that for a non-answer, Brian. It was good. It was good. Robert Jeffress, uh, And I think what's interesting about this op-ed that he wrote over at Fox News is, like I said, he's a teammate here, and I love to listen to him preach. But I think most people know him to be a very political person and a very Republican person, right? He's pastor of just the 
enormous First Baptist Church of Dallas. And so he wrote an op-ed about would Jesus vote? What should Christians consider in this voting season? And he basically says this. Yes, you should vote. Mm-hmm. Like like you said, people have died for that right. Yeah. This is a something you should do. But he cautions us, be careful where you put your hope. And I really appreciate that. Let me just read to you how he how he ends. He says, uh, Christians aren't called to save America. We're called to save Americans from God's judgment by sharing the good news of Christ's forgiveness. So, mm. yes, Christians have both the right and responsibility to vote in this election. But remember why you're doing it and what ultimate purpose voting serves. What America needs most is not a politician or a party we need a genuine spiritual revival that only God can bring. I Amen. Was like, Amen. Amen. When I first saw that he wrote an op-ed for Fox News about voting, I thought it was going to be, yeah. yes, thought, you should vote, and here's who you should vote for. I thought for that's what why. it was going to be, too. I really appreciate I this. I going, hey, listen, let's keep the first things first. Let's remember our hope and where it lies. And so I think I would tell you, go vote. Mm-hmm. But when you vote, uh, I said this to our church the other day because I happen to be preaching on this. When you vote— uh, Think in your mind, your kingdom come. That's good. Like, that God's kingdom that's is good. that's have where the, our citizenship yeah, lies. Yeah, like have the have the right perspective and put yeah. put voting for the politician in its proper place. That's Absolutely. Good, well, coming up next, Aubrey, we're going to be joined by a rabbi, Rabbi Schneider. He has a show here on AM eleven sixty Monday through Friday at nine a.m. called Discovering the Jewish Jesus, and we're going to talk to him about a fascinating campaign they're doing called. God's seven holy days. You're not going to want to mess our time with Rabbi Schneider next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Every once in a while, we get to bring on uh, partners here Mm -hmm. at the station, and we are thrilled to be joined by Rabbi Schneider. He hosts the Discovering the Jewish Jesus show every day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. right here on AM 1160. And um, he's got a campaign going on right now called God's Seven Holy Days. Rabbi Schneider, thanks so much for being here with us today to talk about what you're up to. I'm blessed and honored for the opportunity. Thank you, Aubrey Brian. Well, for our listeners who are just getting to know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and this campaign? Okay. Well, I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, bar mitzvah in a conservative Jewish synagogue. And Jesus was as far away to me as the man on the moon. I mean, I, I truly, he never even entered my mind. Mm. But I was going through a very difficult time in my life. From the, began at about 18 years old when I walked off the wrestling mat after wrestling my last match in high school. I was a very committed athlete. Mm. And even though I had a small scholarship to wrestle in college, I realized that uh, wrestling didn't mean anything anymore. And I just was lost and struggling, realized how big the world was and how I was not in control. And I was really struggling during those years. But at 20 years old, so I was in the state for two years, the Lord appeared to me in the middle of the night as a Jewish person, never having read the New Testament. No one had ever witnessed to me or shared Jesus with me. Again, I never thought of Jesus. But at 20 years old on a hot August night, the Lord revealed himself to me in a vision of the night. And I came to faith as, as a Jew. And so uh, I've been walking this 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 uh, journey now for over 40 years, and I've done a lot of things in terms of um, traveling and ministering and so on and so forth. But one of the unique things that I do as a Jewish believer, Aubrey Bryan, is I help believers understand their faith in Jesus from a Jewish perspective. Mm. You know, the first verse in the New Testament begins by saying, "This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham." So the first verse in the, in the New Testament links the New Testament to the Old Testament, but a yeah. lot of Christians are 
are really confused because they see the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as two different gods. Right. Mm. And Rabbi Schneider, uh, as Ari mentioned, you've got a campaign going called God's Seven Holy Days. Uh, Talk to us about not only what is the campaign, but what is your hope behind this campaign? Well, I just feel like when believers understand, I'm speaking specifically now of of Gentile believers, because many of them have not had an opportunity to understand their faith in Jesus from a Jewish perspective. Right, that's true. But when, when, when believers understand the roots of their faith in the Hebrew Bible, it makes them rock solid. Mm. I mean, I think there's a lot of people in our churches today, they're, they're, they're good Christians. Um, they would tell you, you know, that they're Christian. But if they came, uh, you know, across somebody that had a different faith, whether it was a traditional Jew or a Muslim, their mindset might be, well, you know, I'm a Christian and that's, you know, who I want to be. But, you know, who am I to say that, you know, a Muslim is not on the right path to God or that a traditional Jew that doesn't believe in Jesus is not on the right path to God? In other words, they don't understand oftentimes the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Mm. But when you understand your faith from a Hebrew perspective and understand that from the very beginning, the only way God ever forgave his people was through a blood atonement. Yeah. And you look at that all through the Hebrew scripture. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you understand why Jesus is, in fact, the only name under heaven by which men can be saved, because it's his blood alone that, it, that, that atones for sin. So I guess what I'm trying to, 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 to say is that when believers understand their faith in Jesus from a Jewish perspective, mm. it, it anchors them. They right. realize that there's one God and there's one way. Oh, it's so good, Rabbi Schneider. And I'm just sitting here wondering, you know, as a Gentile believer myself, why Mm -hmm. do you think we've missed out on this Mm -hmm. beautiful heritage from the Old Testament? Because you're right. I do think this anchors our faith and really solidifies like, oh, now I understand the sacrifice of Jesus. Now I understand God's entire narrative. Why do you think we've missed out on this crucial part of our faith? This is a great discussion, but I think that there's two things that happen. Number one is that as Paul continued to spread the gospel, more and more what happened was the, he was going into regions where there were not Jewish people. Mm. And so as the, as the church began to grow, it grew mostly amongst Gentiles that yeah. did not know the Jewish roots of Right, right. And then what happened was the Jews that believed early on were excommunicated from the synagogue. So they lost their uh, their identity or their connection, oftentimes to their to their faith, to to their traditions, and so slowly the church began to become more and more um, disconnected from the Jewish roots of their faith. But there's been a revival that's been taking place. I mean, there always have been Jews that have believed, but in the in the 1960s. There was a massive amount of Jewish people that came to faith in the 60s and 70s. And this began restoration of the Jewish roots of the faith of the church. And this this PDF that we're offering uh, through y'all, Aubrey Bryan, is a free download. It really is. It's a place to start to understand the Jewish roots of our faith. The best place to start is by understanding how Jesus fulfills God's appointed days, mm. as outlined in the 23rd chapter of the book of Leviticus. Mm. And that's what this PDF is, is designed to do. It's easy to digest and understand. You can print it off, study it, 
But once people see that, a lot of people, it's like they get born again almost. Wow. And you can only get born again once. Right, right, right. You know, right. you're born again once by the Spirit. But they're so, like, it's so new for them and so fresh. They get so excited. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, that's great. Rabbi Schneider, could you give an example of one of the days? Can you choose one and uh, unpack it for our listeners as to um, why it's so important? Okay. Well, Passover is probably the, the crucial first place to anchor because of the fact that the, the imagery is so strong. So, for example, we know that it was through the blood of the Passover lamb that judgment passed over every home in ancient Egypt that was covered by the blood. God sent the destroying angel through the land of Egypt, but every family that was in a home that had the lintels of the door and the doorposts marked with the blood, that destroying angel passed over. And so Jesus comes, and John the, ba- and, and John the Baptist points at him, and says, behold, the Lamb of God. Mm. Behold, the Lamb of God. He's identified as the Lamb from the very beginning. Same thing in the book of Revelation. It's the Lamb that's on, that's, that's on the throne, the Lamb that mm. was slain. And then Paul says, Christ has become our Passover. Now, on top of all that, Jesus was crucified on Passover. Yeah. Mm. So you have to understand that this is like, what does this mean? Jesus fulfilled Passover, mm. and it's the same thing with all these holy days. Mm. Jesus fulfills them. You take, for example, what the church calls Pentecost, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, they hear the holiday of Pentecost. You know, some people think that maybe that's like the uh, National Convention of the Assembly of God. <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, those believers in Acts chapter 2, they had already been celebrating this day for 1,500 years wow. prior to the Spirit being poured out on yeah. them. And it came to be associated with the Lord revealing himself to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai mm. in fire and then writing his law on tablets of stone. Mm. So as those first believers in Acts chapter 2 are celebrating Pentecost as traditional Jews, the way they had always done, thinking about how God had appeared to them at Sinai, suddenly the same God that appeared at Sinai comes into the upper room in mm-hmm. fire once again, That's this time awesome. writing his law on tablets, uh, on the tablets of their heart. Oh, so, I mean, so it's cool. all very powerful stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I love that you're doing this. I think this is going to be so tremendous. Can you tell our people where they can find the PDF, God's Holy, God's Seven Holy Days, and where can they connect with you? Okay. Do you guys have it on your website? I bet we do have it on our website. So listeners, if you go to our website, 1160hope.com, you will find that PDF uh, from Rabbi Schneider. It's called God's Seven Holy Days. And then where can they connect with you and other things that you're doing? Well, they can go to my website, discoveringthejewishjesus.com, discoveringthejewishjesus.com. Okay, so, yeah, we perfect. offer a lot of resources and be happy to, um, to be happy to uh, connect with those people that the Lord is drawing to uh, what he's doing through Discovering the Jewish Jesus. Be an awesome blessing. Uh, wonderful. Again, that's DiscoveringTheJewishJesus.com, and you can go to our website, 1160hope.com, and find God's Seven Holy Days campaign. Learn more about the incredible connections between God's seven, uh, seven celebrations, seven feasts, seven holy days, and how they point to Jesus. Rabbi Schneider is the host of the Discovering the Jewish Jesus every day here, Monday through Friday on AM 1160. Rabbi Schneider, thanks so much for being here with us today. It's being great. It's great being with you guys uh, via this radio in Chicago. I love the city of Chicago. So good connection today. Thank you. Blessings to you both. Oh, you too. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. All right, Aubrey, I found this fascinating. 
There was a survey recently in which it says this. We asked Americans to describe the state of the U.S. in one word. Oh, wow. We asked Americans to describe the state of the U.S. in one word. The answers weren't pretty. Mm. So what what do you think? Before we get into I, I'm going to share some of the results okay. of this survey. But what? Uh, I'm not going to ask you what word you would use, but what word do you think a thousand voters oh, were man. asked this question to USA Today in the Suffolk University poll? Uh, what do you think is the general tenor of the words? I think something like broken, divided, not for each other, disunified. That's my guess. Yeah. Uh, the most common response offered by 31% of the people was uh, some conglomeration of the following words. Awful, poor, terrible. Whoa. These are words we group together as having similar yeah. uh, meaning. Here's wow. what 16%. They group these together. Divided, confused, turmoil. Wow. Combined, these downbeat adjectives comprise, comprise two-thirds of those survey. Which doesn't mean the others were feeling upbeat. There were 6% who said sadness, depressed, angry. Oh, wow. 4% said failing uh, failing democracy and decline. Hmm. 2% said scary, horrific, disgusting. Whoa. Optimistic words were down in the single digits. 5% offered great, stable, encouraging. Hmm. And 3% said improving, better, and hopeful. Hmm. So really dark. Yeah, really dark. Does I I expected um, pessimistic here. I expected mm-hmm. uh, dark. I don't know. I was surprised by how much. Oh, another twenty percent. This is one I did. I missed. I skipped over. Second place, twenty percent was chaotic, disastrous, messy. Oh wow! So what wow. do you make of this? What do you think of this? That overwhelmingly, these are very negative. I'm actually. I mean, I don't know what this says about me, but I am surprised. Surprised at how yeah. negative this is, Brian. Like, like I said, I made guesses, divided, etc. I did not think some of this uh, scary, horrifying, disgusting, like that kind of thing would be there because I still like as much as we see the we see the division in our country right now, and I think especially past COVID, we're just all a little trying to like find our footing again as a country. I still love America. Mm-hmm. And I still am like, I mean, you know, be real cheesy here. I'm proud to be an American yeah, and yeah. I still think it's a great country to live in. And so I am surprised that this certain portion of the population was this heavy and dark yeah. about the country. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's like I, I remember being when Kevin and I lived in Zambia for a year, his mentor, a guy named Lawrence Tempway, man, the guy was so... Um, prophetic, calling out the corruption in Zambia. There was a lot of corrupt leadership in Zambia at the time. And he was, I mean, he was bold, but he was also so, he loved Zambia so much that he was so intent on making his country a better place, Mm. raising up good servant leaders. And he, so like from his place of frustration with his country, he poured into his country with deep, deep love and affection. Yeah, he died. Yeah. That's he died of cancer a few years ago. Um, but I, I feel like that's what I want to see, right? Like I want to see people who love, love, love our nation, and are able with the frustration we see over the things that aren't going the way we want to. From that place of love, we pour into making it change, being critical, but making change. Mm. 
I, this yeah. is I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised by how dark this is, but maybe I'm just naive. Well, though, what do we do with this? So uh, pessimism. People are struggling with inflation. They're struggling with partisanship. Yeah, They're real. struggling yeah. with increased violence mm-hmm. that we're seeing. They're struggling with all the election, yeah. whatever else yeah. it might be. So what then becomes our, I feel like we're talking about this over and over again these days, but what becomes our word to be? We're pastors. Mm-hmm. We don't want people discouraged, angry, all of this stuff. So I don't know. what What is a word that we have for people who are likely feeling this way about the United States of America? I mean, it's interesting, and this may sound pessimistic, but I'll try to bring it back to a place of hope. I do think humanity has always been bent on destroying each other. Like, if, we, if you look throughout history, even biblical history, like— we are prone to this kind of thing. Like this is, I think, part of the reality of sin in our world that that uh, we just I don't know. I think our sin just makes us bent on division, destroying each other, um, falling apart, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But because of, you know, because of the gospel of Jesus, I do feel like there's hope that there's a better day coming, right? Yeah. And as Jesus transforms us, as Jesus transforms systems, we will see change and transformation take place. What do we do in the meantime, especially like for people who aren't a Christian or what do we do with what do we do with this? I mean, I think maybe just for each listener, examine in your own heart like do you hate your country right now? Um I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, you better love America. But I do think there is a place to go, okay, Lord, how do you view this nation? How can I be a part of solution and change? The change I want to see in the world, like, how can I be a part of making it? How can uh, me and my Christian community and my Christian friends actually add value, add meaning, bring life to where we live to start to pursue the change you want to see, and maybe that would bring an affection. Yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, Brian. What do I you think? I also think it's the reminder of what we just talked about earlier in the show about voting is a reminder of, yeah, you know what? This wor- Our country, this world is broken. Yeah. Like, this is not utopia. This is not the promised land. Right, right. Uh, like you, I love America. I love being a citizen of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. I remember being overseas at times. I was at Wheaton in the Holy Lands on the 4th of July when I was in college. I remember like there being like we all sung the national anthem. (laughs) You know, like it was like and it was like, you know, cheesy college kids. But but sometimes we treat our country as if it is the promised land, as Mm -hmm. if it is utopia, as if it is what Mm -hmm. the ultimate city on a hill is. Right. Yeah. And it's got great elements to it, but it's also run by sinful, broken people, full of sinful, broken yep. people. And yep. the only hope for us is is not a better America. It is a great savior. Amen. <laughs> Amen, great. Brian. That's, that's good. That's ultimately where our hope is. And so I do think as pastors and as Christians, we can look at this and go, wow, people are in a really bad spot right now. Yeah. Like that's there's some dark words. Those are some hard words. Not like it wasn't like off track or meandering or right struggling. right it like, was like dark depressing yeah, yeah yeah just knowing that that's where some of our friends and family and people next to us in church are i think we can speak into that mm. by pointing people to the life death and resurrection the hope that we have in jesus christ good, so brian. brian i was reading kind of a, a funny story but i think we can get pastoral with it okay, okay? it's Tell a it story about hugh jackman oh, the like hugh jackman. you know artist Artist, actor famous for X-Men, playing Wolverine, famous for a lot of other things as well. 
What do you like Hugh Jackman for? Oh, what was the uh, oh oh? It was um, the Greatest Showman. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, I of course. I love The Greatest Showman. You I will do. List, I loved The Greatest Showman. Uh, I'm a sucker for musicals. Yeah, the music in The Greatest Showman is, is so, so good. Good. I love Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman. Yeah. And, oh, and it's Zac Efron. Zac Efron's so great at that. Yeah. It's your Disney All Stars, your it Disney Dreamcast, right it there. Is. Yeah. Yes, I loved it. Yeah, that's a, that was a um, he. That was a good role for him. That was really good. Really good soundtrack. Okay, so he shared for the very first time ever that, uh, do you remember the movie with Sandra Bullock called Miss Congeniality? Of course. She's a cop. She of pretends course. to be a, I mean, this is like, I, I don't know if it made her famous. I think Speed did. But, like, this definitely brought her into the world of, like, she is building. an A-list actress, yep. right? So, apparently, Hugh Jackman auditioned for kind of her love interest part, Angel- uh, ended up going to Benjamin Bratt, but apparently he uh, did a terrible job at the audition and was rejected from it. And um, he was humiliated. And he talk he's talking for the first time about how humiliated he was in that moment, okay. like being rejected for that role. But then, interesting, apparently he was really shocked by that, all of that kind of thing. But then eventually that rejection led to him getting all other kinds of roles, including Wolverine, which he became very famous for. So anyway, you know, that's kind of a cutesy little story. But I thought it was an interesting concept that that let's say he got that role. Okay, Hugh Jackman, this is like one of those time travel butterfly effect, you know, moments. Mm -hmm. He might not have been Wolverine. He might not have been the greatest showman. He might not have been in Les Mis. Like there are lots of those. Yeah, I mean, I think he produced Les Mis. Okay, so there were lots of uh, roles that had he gotten the one he might not have gotten. And it made me think about how sometimes. We get rejected for things. And, of course, rejection feels terrible. I'm yep, not going to yep, paint yep. a picture of rejection like it doesn't feel horrible. It is. Whether it's a relationship, a job, a door closed, whatever. But perhaps that is that that rejection is part of God's redirection for you. And that God may have something else in store for you along the way. And I do think there's some lessons here in like, don't giving, don't give up, keep yep. going after your dreams, et cetera, et cetera. But just tell me your thoughts on this whole story in that concept. Yeah. And the hard part about things like this is because we as pastors can become guilty of like putting a bow on things. Yeah, right? totally. You, unfortunately, you don't see any of this until you look back. Like Hugh Jackman, when he got rejected for Miss Congeniality, mm-hmm. wasn't like, you know what? This is just a doorway to greater. He might have been trying to tell himself that. But, yeah. But he would have been lying to himself. I'm sure all he was was. Um, Devastated, disappointed, yes, embarrassed, yes, humiliated yes. is the word he uses. And, and so that's where we have to be careful because when we tell people, oh, when God closes one door, another one opens up. Yeah. Maybe, but it, that's not helpful to hear in the moment. But it's true. We see that over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, so, yeah, a Hugh Jackman. Okay, okay. I know, interesting. He's, he's apparently, uh, his agent told him not to go, like, out for that role, but he said he wanted to do it anyway. And so the agent said, okay, I don't want you to get this job, but you ba- make sure you go get it. And he didn't get it. And so he mm. said that was extra humiliating because of that. In the end, it all worked out for the best as Jackman went in, on to land the breakout role of his career as Wolverine in X-Men that same year. 
spawning multiple sequels and his own franchise. I don't feel like X-Men and Miss Congeniality were at the same time. <laughs> that feels like a totally different timeline to me. But I, I think you're right. It In the moment, Hugh Jackman, or replace Hugh Jackman with yourself, mm-hmm. you feel rejected by someone or something. You're never like, oh, great. Well, that's okay. I'll become a famous actor in the end, right? But there is something I think we can learn from this perspective that rejection doesn't have to be the end of what you're going for. Like either, I remember we covered a story of the singer Jewel yes. years ago. or a her couple, Alaska story. Yeah, where she would play in coffee houses and she would get rejected even from the coffee houses and she was living in her car, but she just felt like, look, this is my dream. I don't care how many times I'm going to get rejected. I'm going to go for it and go for it and go for it until she finally got a record deal. And like her dreams came true. I, not all of us are jewel and not all of us are Hugh Jackman, but I do think there's some perspective with when you get rejected. That's a, that's a moment where it could be a few things. One, God has different doors for you to open, maybe even a different path. Like maybe you are knocking down the wrong doors and there's other doors that he's going to open for you. Or maybe it's like a, Oh wait, I actually really do want this. So I'm going to keep going after this thing. It can almost be like a solidification of your dreams. Mm. Or I think the opposite is you crawl into a shell and never try again. And I don't think that's the lesson here either. Yeah, I think what we want to tell people is one rejection doesn't ruin your life. Yeah, that's good. If you believe uh, that you've got this dream that you want to go for, then go for it. And and you, that's the thing. Athletes, actors, actresses, whatever, Mm -hmm. their stories are riddled with failure. Very few of them were like, you know what, I moved to Hollywood and the first thing I got was a Marvel movie. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right, right. You know what, I didn't have any. And so I think failure is part of life. Mm -hmm. And there's this concept of failing forward, like fail, but then, you know, mourn it and whatever, and then keep going forward. I think that is, I think that that's biblical. I think it's also just good practice because yeah. your life is not defined by failure. Right. Your life becomes defined with how you deal with the failure and what your next move is. And that's good. Uh, yeah. And you may not get your ultimate dream, but go for it. Go for it. Yeah. I like I like that concept of failing forward. I think that's a good lesson for all of us. Even when you fail, even when you get rejected, there's some lesson to be learned there and you can keep going. I also remember hearing about, I think it was John Ortberg the pastor who would uh, like he like passed out the first few times he preached and there are other even you know people in ministry like that they get up to preach they're like you know your most well-known well-known bible teachers but yeah they passed out or they had crazy anxiety or whatever and in a sense they failed forward they kept going in spite of their fears and you see the fruit of that especially if it's something god has called you to do so anyway Maybe let's all begin considering life's rejections as God's redirections. Coming up next, we're joined by Michael Ware. He's the president and CEO of the Center for Christianity and Public Life. We're going to talk to him about this brand new center and what it means to be a Christian in politics today. You are listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. We're really glad to have you with us today. And, Aubrey, uh, I'm thrilled to have on Michael Ware. 
He is the president and CEO of the Center for Christianity and Public Life as we kind of get into election season or we're full fledged into Into election season. season. And we struggle as Christians to go, what's our role? How should we be viewing that? So we thought Michael would be a great one to have on. Michael, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. Let's just start with a little bit of background. The Center for Christianity and Public Life, of which you are the president and CEO. Tell us a little bit about the Center for Christianity and Public Life. Yeah, sure. Well, the f- first thing is it's it's new. We, we publicly launched this month, and uh, the Center is a, a new nonpartisan nonprofit based in the nation's capital with the mission to contend for the credibility of Christian resources in public life for the public good. Mm-hmm. And we advance that mission through two streams of work. First, we explain Christianity to the public and advance Christian resources for the good of the public. And then second, we grow, resource, convene, and represent the community of Christians who are convinced that spiritual formation, the kind of people we are, is central to civic renewal. Mm. And so uh, we just launched this month, have a great team, a wonderful board. We'll have a conference in the fall of 2023. We're accepting applications now for a public life fellowship program, which is for Christian civic leaders. And um, and we're, 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 we're thrilled to sort of have this have this work that we've been working on quietly for a couple of years, building this organization oh, so now, now to, to be in public. And uh, folks can check out more at ccpubliclife.org on that. Oh, congratulations. What a uh, what a thrilling thing to be a part of and what a necessary space to be filling. I'm so excited to find out more. Michael, you are also oh, one of the youngest White House staffers in modern American history, which is quite a like <laughs> placard about you. <laughs> Uh, can you talk to us about how you served during President Obama's term and, and yeah, just what that was like promoting faith-based yeah. initiatives? Yeah, well, first, you know, it was an incredible honor. You know, I think our, our there, there's so much cause for sort of uh, a cynicism and sort of uh, a gloominess regarding our politics right yeah. now. Yeah. I had the incredible honor of serving in uh, something called the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. And it was my job every day to work with pastors and uh, uh, religious nonprofits and others who were serving those most in need in their communities. And so mm-hmm. I tell people, wow. you know, I, 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 I left the White House more sort of um, uh, optimistic mm. and positive about uh, the church and our country than, than I think a lot of people expect. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. But, but you, you know, but, but what's, what's interesting is, you know, when you're focused on the common good, you uh, uh, people are uh, attracted to that, and good people yeah. are attracted to that. And so, of course, there's politics going on and, and all of that, and uh, a, a lot of folks who are serving those in need stay away from that. But I had the opportunity to think about disaster relief and mm. think about adoption, and, mm. and so uh, I, I, it was just uh, it was just an incredible honor. That's awesome. That's amazing, Michael. Let me ask you a question that I I know that when I ask you this, that there have been books upon books upon books written about this. But what you're trying to do is 
kind of thread that needle for Christians as to to be engaged politically, um, but not probably too much. So Aubrey and I are both pastors, and uh, I know in my church I've got some people who don't want anything to do with politics and other people who are obsessed with it, and that's all they think yes. about. So how do you try to thread that needle? How do you tell Christians and pastors to like, what's it look like for how a Christian should think politically? Yeah. Well, the, the problem right now is not that we take politics too seriously, but that we take it seriously in all of the wrong ways. Mm. And so uh, there are, I think politics has increasingly become a forum for uh, seeking affirmation and self-expression uh, and yeah. self-aggrandizement. Yes. Uh, but but um, what happens when we bring all of those things to our politics, when we bring all of our loves and hatreds and affections and aspirations to politics, is it actually crowds out space in our politics for our politics to be about the thing it's supposed to be about, which is affirming human dignity and advancing justice. Mm. And so um, when... Uh, one thing I say is, you know, cr Christians have tremendous resources to actually resist those calls to use politics as a forum for sort of unmediated self-expression, hmm. and instead, uh, uh, instead to engage in politics with their feet planted in the gospel. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a very dangerous thing to engage in politics with your feet planted in politics. Mm -hmm. But if your feet are planted elsewhere, if your feet are planted on solid rock, then you could do great good and contribute a great deal to our political life. And I think that's what we're looking for. We're looking for people who care about politics because they care about their neighbor and they love God. Yeah. Uh, we don't want people uh, engaging in politics uh, because it's a it's a hobby, or mm. it's a game to them, yeah. or you know I, I think um, that they're just seeking to secure their self interest, and once that's done, they're done with politics. Mm. Michael, I'm just hearing there's a lot of passion in you, and you can hear it across the microphone. I'm wondering how <laughs> you even got involved in this. Like, tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, sure. I am. Um... I grew up in Buffalo, New York, uh, and so so kind of the other side of the Rust Belt from from you mm -hmm. all. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I um, my grandfather was really important to me. He fought in World War II, mm -hmm. came back, was a civic leader, someone very involved in the community, and uh, so I was interested in civic things very early on. I wasn't interested in Jesus, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but a number of things happened. Uh, the principle of which is when I was uh, 15, someone handed me a tract of Romans mm. and it changed my life. Wow. And so now all of a sudden I had, uh, I'd given my life to Christ. I thought, well, now I need to go to seminary, become a pastor. Uh, <laughs> you know, you just want to do the most Christian thing you could think of. And thankfully my pastor, um, a man by the name of Jerry Gillis, um, said, you know, Michael, look around. There are Christians who aren't pastors. Um, and, I, and, I, and I said, you know, that's a really keen insight. And so very early on in my walk with Jesus, this vocational question of what does it mean to be faithful in and with public things mm. has uh, driven and consumed so much of my life. That led me to, to D.C. And, and sort of the story goes from there. Yeah. But I... 
I, 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 here, here's the heart of it, which is, um, and I think this has become increasingly clear, um, uh, if we are not, if we do not have confidence that Jesus is up to the task of our public life, mm-hmm. um, that is not uh, that is not something that stays quarantined to some uh, isolated part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. That actually creeps into the whole self. We actually end up being disintegrated followers of Jesus because there there's this area of life in which we acknowledge that you know, following Jesus isn't the safe thing to do. Right. Um, and, and so we need to, we need to, we need to face that. We need to reconcile that. We need to actually come to terms with whether we believe Jesus is up to the task mm. of our public life. I, I, I think he is. I think he's up to the task yes. of, of much more. <laughs> um, so, yeah. It's such a good it's word, amazing. Michael. I, we're going to need to have you on again. Absolutely. There's so much good stuff here. But as we let you go today, where can people connect with you, with your organization, whether it be website, social media? How can people connect with you? Hey, I so appreciate it. Um, the Center for Christianity and Public Life's website is live at ccpubliclife.org. Folks can follow me on Twitter at Michael R. Ware. And then I run a podcast with my wife called Where We Are, and that's where, like our last name, nice. W-E-A-R, Where We Are, and, and uh, would love for folks to check that out. That's awesome. Again, Michael Ware is the president and CEO of the Center for Christianity and Public Life. Check it out at ccpubliclife.org. Michael, this has been wonderful. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Great to be with you. Thank y- you. Yep. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It is Friday. That means it is time to do one of our very favorite things. That is a top five list. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. All right, Brian, we... uh, This is one of our more random ones. This is one of our more random ones. This came up earlier in the week because we were having a conversation about how the Apostle Paul, we love him, but would not have been a great hang. Like, would not have been fun... (laughs) To be with because he was very serious minded. Yeah, At least yeah. It, he comes across that way. Um, so we decided to come up with a list of <laughs> this is a random one. I hope this is a sacrilegious top five Bible characters you would not want to hang out with. Like they just wouldn't be fun. And maybe they get redeemed later. But there's maybe time they do. Yeah. To, and people, let's let's have some laughs here. Yeah, don't right? ta- don't this take this not... too seriously, please. Exactly. If yeah. we pick one of your favorite Bible characters, right? Like, you, you know, joke with us and think to yourself, who would I not have wanted to yeah, hang out with in yeah, the Bible? Yeah. Okay. So, um, do you want to go first, or shall I go? I'm gonna first? let you make that decision. Okay, I'll go first. Okay. Okay. My uh, first one is uh, King Xerxes, also <laughs> known as King Ahasuerus, something like that who you might know because Esther ended up marrying him, but his first wife, Vashti, he was a real jerk to her. And he was really keen on just collecting women as objects. And he would not be a good hang, especially if you're a lady. So I'm not a fan of King Xerxes. (laughs) That is how we play the game. Yep. Uh, My number five, and this is going to be for obvious reasons, even, even the the reason we know him. Okay. uh, And, uh, I'm going to take this very literally. I don't want to hang out with Simon the leper. <laughs> <laughs> Not where I thought you were going. That's good. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in his name. Wow, isn't Mother it? Teresa would not be very proud of you right now. It's in wow. his name. So if I'm choosing, yeah. who do I want to yeah, hang out with? Fair. I might not be. Maybe yeah. you know, Jesus decides to heal Simon the leper. We might hang, but Simon the leper, you Dude, invite me over to your I'm house. Not, I'm not coming. I'm saying no. I'm probably at least asking <laughs> us to make that outside where I can socially distance. Okay, that's pretty good. Wow, Brian, that's good. All right, uh, my number four. This is kind of my next two are kind of obvious. Pharaoh. Yes. <laughs> Don't want to hang out with you, murderer, <laughs> slave owner. It's got lots of wealth. Yeah, yeah. I got like a. I know both of them might have a royalty with a lot of wealth. Yeah. yeah. If we if we translate to now, he probably got a PS5 and a hot tub. And yeah, a... actually, he might be a good hang. You're right. <laughs> He's just like a little too scary for me, so I'm not going there with Pharaoh. <laughs> just don't bring up the uh, the plagues. <laughs> right. Uh, number four for me. You mentioned them earlier. I this is going to make some people angry. I don't want to hang out with Paul. You don't want to hang out with Paul. And I'm not even talking about his Saul days where he was killing people. I mean his Paul days. I just, I am so respectful of Paul. I am thankful for his writings and his preaching. He even talks about being a boring preacher where people fall out a window, but. uh, Right, right. He just seems like that guy who's always going to struggle to laugh. Yeah. If you're hanging out. Yeah. He's like not fun. He ruins the party. Doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Like everything is going to be nitpicky. Yeah. Everything. So I want to learn from Paul. Mm-hmm. I want to be discipled by Paul. Yes. I probably don't want to spend a Friday night with Paul. Yeah. Like you want to maybe have coffee with him and pick his brain, but you like don't want to yeah. go on vacation with Will him. Will you mentor me, Paul? Right. But right. not do you want to go bowling, Paul? Right. Like, those are probably the differences for me. <laughs> number four, go ahead. All right. Am I, I'm on oh, number, three. number three. Number three. This one is obvious. This is who I thought you were going to say earlier when you said Simon the Leopard. This one's very obvious. Obvious. Um, I Mostly, like, guilty by association. I'm not going to hang out with Judas. He's going to show up for me later. Yeah, like, that just seems like obviously. Like, obviously, the guy was really struggling, really hurting, a big downer. And also, like, you just kind of don't want to be associated with him. So I'm going to remove Judas from mine, then. Okay. I'm going to go to I'll move him to my honorable mention. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so my number three is going to be my number two, and my okay. honorable mention now is going to move up to number three. I'm okay. not sure I actually would have made this person number three. Yeah. I think they were going to be my honorable mention, okay. but let's just, you know, yeah, yeah. for the gotcha. sake of having somebody gotcha. new. I don't want to hang out with Joseph. <laughs> really? And I don't mean the father of, of or the stepfather, or however you want to talk oh. about Jesus. I mean Old Testament old, Joseph. Old school Joseph. Do you ever read why? Because he's Joseph... getting in trouble. He's arrogant. Or... Do you, yeah. Do you ever read the Joseph story and be like, I get why his brothers oh, did that. Totally. I mean, so, he's he was kind of a jerk. Who wants to hang out with the guy who walks in? He's like, Ooh, look at my coat of many <laughs> colors. Right. Like, <laughs> like I don't want that from Joseph. Like, I don't want to hang out with that guy. Yeah. 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 So very okay. redeemed. Okay. He ends up in a good spot. Incredible. But a lot of Joseph's life, I'm like, Yeah, I, I would have thrown him in a pit too. That's true. You're right. You're right. Okay. Start rooting for the famine. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joseph. That's a surprising one, but that's I, he was I can see that. To begin with, but yeah, I'll I can see that. Okay. Um, this may be obvious too. Number two, I, I don't want to hang out with Kane. It's going to show up on my list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the dude murders his brother and then's like i don't know am i my brother's keeper like he just seems like a shady shady sus 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nobody needs to be around All him. All right. So he was my number one. Okay. That's a good I'll, number we'll one. We'll talk about as if he's my number two. Yeah, okay. He killed his brother. Right. He right. like started all of this <laughs> right. for humanity. <laughs> right. And all because God was like, I, I accept that gift on that. Like, okay, that I'm going to kill him. I'm going and be to like, murder my brother and, and then pretend like I did it. So he was, in fact, my number one, but I'll, I'll speak okay. of him now. All okay. Right. All right. Uh, you had an honorable mention? I had an honorable mention. I feel a little bad about this, but I'm going to be honest about it. Uh, it's Martha, you know, because the whole almost made my really? list, and I thought it would make you angry. Yeah, no, I, I, I do. I feel a little like, sit bad down about for a second, this, Martha. but right, just enjoy, just sit down and enjoy. Like, I feel like there are women in my life who are constantly like they're busy cleaning and they won't sit down and watch TV with me, you know. And I'm yeah. like, just stop it, it. And maybe I'm a little Martha myself, and so that's why she like rubs me the wrong way. But she just seemed like not a chill. She's not know. a chill. I hang. feel like if Carrie and I went to your house, mm-hmm. uh, if there's ever a day we're invited, like that if, won't uh, happen. But... If Carrie and I went over to you and Kevin's house, I don't worry that you're going to be doing dishes while we're there. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not, and I'm not going to be mad that you aren't doing dishes. You Good. know what I mean? I do. I feel she gets thrown under the bus, but I don't want to hang out with her. Uh, she was. Yeah. She was. Part, she. I considered Martha. Yeah. Yes. So that was my honorable mention. So your honorable mentioned switched I, it was joseph i now moved judas down yes. to the list yes. because okay. but judas clearly who wants to hang with a guy that you know is going to betray right. you definitely not yeah, yeah definitely I mean, not. for 30 pieces of silver right like, come on it's judas. not even that much silver no right okay uh it's time for number one isn't it is peter a good hang even though he cut a guy's ear off i, I think he'd be a lot of fun I actually think he would be an he, adventurous I spontaneous think, hang. i think peter i picture peter like uh will ferrell in old school <laughs> like <laughs> And Will Ferrell is like just doing crazy things That's in Peter. old school. That yeah. feels like Peter. That like, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I f- I could see that. If anyone's yelling like Will Ferrell, we're going streaking. I feel like it's Peter. It's definitely yeah. Peter. Although, who was yeah. the disciple who ran away naked? Was it John? Oh, I don't remember. Huh? You need to know your Bible better. Yeah, apparently I do. All right, who's your number one? Okay, my number one might surprise people. This I feel like this guy's story went opposite. Instead of being redeemed later, he just sort of like shady, shady business. Okay. So I'm going to say the older version of this guy is my number one. I don't want to hang out with drunk naked Noah. I I consider drunk naked Noah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just seems he's a slob. He's fat. He drinks a lot. He just kind of He's doing things he shouldn't be doing. He lived off the boat. Like, he lived off his reputation of the boat. Yeah, he lived off that. And he, like, those were, like, his glory days. And he kept going back to his glory (laughs) days. You know what I mean? And he just never, he never went anywhere from there. (laughs) He's like the brother yeah. in Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, exactly. Like... Exactly. That's Noah. That's old drunk Noah. And I don't want to hang out. With I him. felt a little guilty adding Noah to the list, but now I feel good about yeah, it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to throw him on my honorable mention. Okay. Too. Okay. So, uh, it's funny you say that because I looked at Martha and at Noah and was like, yeah. Interesting. I feel, like, I feel like they get too redeemed in the end <laughs> to do anything. Uh, my number one. Uh, was my number two. So, no, Kane was number one. Okay. Uh, but my last one, I'll get myself in trouble for this one. Oh, I cannot wait. I think Job would be a really bad hang. <laughs> <laughs> like, we get it, Job. Life is hard. <laughs> we understand. How long do I have to sit here and talk to you about this? <laughs> Am I right? Or am I right? He's worse than Paul. Like, (laughs) like you, like you hang out with that guy, and everyone's just like, he's Eeyore. Yeah, he's Eeyore already. (laughs) And then his life turns back around, and you're just like, and then you're like, great, you got everything you wanted. (laughs) It's got to be good to be Job. So 
I just think for most of Job's life, I'd be like, I'm going to do anything <laughs> to not avoid to be there. that guy. Right. I think I'd be sending him like cards and care packages for the encouragement, but like I definitely don't want to hang out with you. And the friends of Job get a lot of flack. They do and they get a lot of flack. Be, but yeah. think about what they had to put up with. <laughs> so I'm going with Job. Okay. You, wow. and I, you and I are going to hell. <laughs> we are. We're sorry if we've just offended everyone, but that is our list of the top five Bible characters that we do not think would be chill hangs. You do not want to hang out with them. Coming up next, I don't even know how to transition to what's coming up next. We're going to talk about recovering from burnout. We'll do that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. We'll be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.